0: Hey guys, it's your girl Rico Nasty and I'm here
1: with Mark Ronson for Fader Uncovered. I'm Mark Ronson and this is the Fader Uncovered podcast. In this interview series, I'll be speaking with some of the most influential and groundbreaking musicians in the world. From genre-defining stars to avant-garde trailblazers about their lives and careers. Each episode will be rooted in these musicians' iconic Fader cover stories, an institution that over the past two decades has told artists stories like no other. The podcast is a chance for us to talk about the past, present, and future, reflecting on their breakthroughs, diving into their lives when their covers hit shelves, and discussing what the future might hold now. And it's an opportunity for me to speak to some of the artists I most admire. This is The Fader Uncovered with Mark Ronson. Today I'm chatting with Rico Nasty, a unique voice in rap music and one of the most exciting artists working right now. Rico graced the cover of The Fader in the summer of 2018, shortly after the release of her incendiary and game-changing mixtape, Nasty. She was still 21 years old, newly signed to Atlantic Records, and coming to grips with a career that had vaulted her from PG County, Maryland to the edges of stardom, all while raising her son, Cameron. Since then, she's distilled her music and aesthetic down to something even more potent. Her debut studio album Nightmare Vacation, released late last year, was her most fun and thrillingly abrasive project yet. A combination of punk, rap and hyperpop that simultaneously of its time and in its own universe. I feel like you have such a nice backdrop and I just look like I'm just, like, in Star Trek. Is that where you've been doing all your Zoom interviews and stuff? Would you change it up all the time?
0: I change it up pretty frequently, but today it's, like, raining. It's really ugly.
1: Yeah. Congrats on the album, by the way. Is it weird to put out an album in the middle of this time? And Because I watched your Fader doc that you did back when the article came out. And the shows are just some of the most amazing crowds. I've honestly ever seen, like, just the... Energy and the moshing and like, like I've never seen so many actually like women moshing. Like I went to like hardcore shows as a kid. Like you must, you must sort of miss that, I guess.
0: There's definitely no sorta. I miss it. I miss it like every single day. The only thing that's kind of been keeping me going is what happens when we get to do shows again. Like what that's gonna be like. Not only for me, but like for them. Like I just. I truly
1: cannot wait for it. Yeah. It's going to be amazing because there's going to be like all your super fans are just going to be like, like the, yours will be the first show that they've gone to. So like, I mean, you might actually have to be like, re- like wearing like protective suit, like shit flying from the state, like the crowd. I mean, I can imagine. I
0: definitely imagine the new fans. Yeah. in a big
1: yeah. Oh, you think it's going to be, they're going to be against each other, the new fans versus the fan? Yeah,
0: like pre-pandemic fans versus, After the pandemic, I feel like they're going to be going toe-to-toe.
1: Where is that show at the end of the the dock that you did, the one for the Fader, where is that last hometown show? Because the energy is incredible and the venue is so cool. Do you remember?
0: Yeah, I believe the Fillmore, Silver Splinter.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to actually come to one of your shows now that I sort of met you or whatever this is.
0: Thank you. Well, if you ever go to the Fillmore for anyone else's show... My pictures are, like, in the dressing room, so...
1: I got to play once. I played at the 930 Club. Do you ever play there? That's D.C., right?
0: Yeah, I played at the 930 Club. I went to a lot of concerts growing up at the 930 Club. You did?
1: Because you were, you talk about all your influences, and they're so diverse, and from Bowie to Paramore. What, what shows did you see there? I, well,
0: I didn't really go to a lot of actual, actual concerts of artists that I liked growing up, which is weird. I mean, I remember I went to a Chris Brown concert I went to a Young Gleesh concert. Other than that, it was a lot of underground shows. Like, I never really went. Like, I started going to shows, like, when I got famous. When I started getting booked at shows is when I started going. Like, I would go on my own. Like, I remember I went to go see Tame Uh Impala on my birthday in Miami. Uh And I was, like, all the way in the back, and nobody knew who I was. And it felt so good, like, because I finally have money to, like, go and experience shows and stuff. I treat myself.
1: Did you say you went to some shows at 930?
0: Yeah, I think I had went to, it was this like underground group and they were called Three O Wop. I think Goldlink was performing. Okay. Something very underground. It was like before a lot of people knew about him.
1: I was playing bass with Jimmy Fallon in his band and we played at the 930 Club because he made this like kind of like fake power pop kind of punk record. Not fake, it was actually really funny. It was like a comedy album. Um, I saw your performance on Fallon. That was incredible. How do they even do that right now? How are they making these performances? Were you in the studio? Do you just like make it and send the video in?
0: So yeah, I actually just gathered up my team and we found a location, set up the cameras in the living room, and then I got to do it as many times as I wanted. Yeah, so I thought that was fire. That it wasn't actually live.
1: Yeah, because it's like it's it's like a mini music video or something. Yeah. Other than the fact that. I've never been cool enough to be in The Fader. I did notice one thing that I th- you and I had in common. It just made me laugh. You said that you always meant to change your name, but you couldn't because you just got famous and it was too long. You tell the story. First, it would be cool if you don't mind just telling the story about how you got your name.
0: So I, I got my name basically from a friend. we were outside and he was just, I would wear a lanyard, like a keychain, like this, and they had my keys on it and it said Puerto Rico. And I did something nasty. I, I still wish I could remember what I did. But he was just like, Rico nasty. Like, Rico, you nasty. Like, I don't know what possessed me to go home, change my Twitter name to that. But I literally did. And then after that, uh, I got locked out of my Instagram. So I had to change my Instagram to that too. And it was just so weird because when I started rapping and stuff, I always tell people like, yeah, before I get my deal, I'm changing my name. And before I sign anything, I'm changing this and changing that. And like, I didn't do any of that. I just never cared enough because I was like, well, if they like it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to confuse the people.
1: I I have such a theory on that because. I just go by my regular name, Mark Ronson, which is just so boring in some ways. I could be literally an accountant. And I remember... You don't want
0: to know my real name. You don't want to know my real name. It's so underwhelming. It's
1: Maria Kelly, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful name, but it's not Rico Nasty. I get it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: I used to DJ in hip-hop clubs in New York in the 90s, and they put out a book of all these flyers. And every month I was changing my DJ name. Like, I looked like a schizophrenic DJ. Like, one week I'm Spark Ronson on these flyers, and I'm like, uh, Spark Mark the Spark. Then I'm DJ Old English, because I was like English, and I thought that was funny. So anyway, I just, just stuck with my real name. And I thought, like, well, once I'm famous, but... I think a name is as good as the person that has it. So if you blow up and you make great shit, then whatever that name is. And then if there was like someone putting out shitty music named Rico Nassi, then we wouldn't care about that. So I kind of think it's great.
0: I always envy the people that are able to make their name, their name. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Rihanna, yeah. Beyonce. Mariah Carey like I think that is like so cool like you were like I'm so great I'm literally just you will call me by my first name sweetie ain't no alter ego this is who I am I really love that like yeah so you have that. Your name is your
1: name. I mean, the only thing that's good is it can sometimes help me get a, a table at a restaurant quicker if I just use my, my name. But I mean, I guess it
0: sounds like a wrestler name. It
1: does. Yeah, it sounds like you could put somebody in a
0: good chokehold.
1: I wish I, I wish I could, but I really can't. I don't even know if you know that I make music or if it's even important or not. I'm just like a, a journalist or something. So I'm sorry if I keep talking about myself, but um, I wanted to ask you about. I want to ask you about a lot of shit, but on this record, did you make a lot of the record during the kind of lockdown and during the pandemic? Yeah,
0: I feel like a good six, six of them were made during the pandemic.
1: Because you were putting out music before, but then there's some, is there a line in iPhone when you mentioned like having the mask on?
0: That's one of the songs that was made actually before the pandemic. It's like, I wish I could do like a Jeopardy game and make people guess what songs were made before and after. Because a lot of the ones you think were made before yeah. were actually made after. Yeah. It's weird.
1: Because am I making this up that there's a line like, forgot to put my mask on or something like that?
0: No, that's real. Yeah. I was referring to just like a gas mask, like smoking so much gas. So many people were like, oh, my gosh, this was perfect for the pandemic. But really, I was like, yeah, this is actually freakishly accurate. I didn't plan for that. And when I wrote it, I had no idea, like nobody was wearing masks. I was just trying to think about things that we did in 2012. Like I remember 2012, like all the cool kids had gas masks in their smoke sessions. And, like, you know, Tamagotchis and just... I was thinking about that time. I was not at all thinking that we would eventually have to wear masks. And that's just crazy.
1: Yeah, because I was listening to it and I was thinking, God, I wonder, like, what music we're going to listen to. I mean, the album title Nightmare Vacation, that you probably came up with during the pandemic. Is that referring to lockdown? No. So you really did just predict the whole shit.
0: I guess. Yeah. <laughs> In a very sinister way. Yeah. Not. I didn't mean to but art imitates life a lot and you speak things into existence and I am definitely guilty of being a person who before this lockdown I was like on my last leg I was exhausted bags under my eyes waking up body sore just overall not feeling good but like It's like a fucking Amtrak train. You just got to keep going till you get to the destination. So I'm touring, 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 no sleep, no sleep. And I just remember before the pandemic hit, the last place I went was Australia. And I was there for like a month. And I remember when I got home, I like cried. Yeah. Because when I left, I had just got a house. And when I got back, like, I didn't even get to enjoy the house or let alone really remember what it felt like to be in a house or be home and I literally cried and I was so happy. And I remember saying, I'm never, ever, ever leaving home for that long again. Yeah. And then this shit happened.
1: Yeah. How long before lockdown did you actually get home?
0: Three days. Three days before lockdown. Okay. My mom started freaking out. I was like, okay, 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 I'll come home.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I've spoken to a lot of people who, same thing, like the crazy touring life, you're always on the road and... Everybody for the first few months just being home, it felt like its own high in a way. Like everybody was just so excited, like DJs I know, musicians to wake up in the same bed every day that like it was almost like being on ecstasy. Just the feeling of not having to travel. Did you feel that a little bit when you first got to just stay home?
0: Yeah, I felt like I finally had like stability for the first time in years it also felt like for the first time I could actually like sit back and see what I had done because I know that I was just moving around so much. Like when I finally got to sit down, I finally got to see like, wow, I'm in a nice house and I drive nice cars and, kind of gained my confidence back because like, don't get me wrong. I love torn, but that shit, it does something to you mentally that a lot of people don't talk about. It really does fuck you up mentally. And I just felt like I was bad at everything and just like very low and being home kind of reminded me like, wow, like I'm doing so well for myself and kind of like, self-reflecting, like, I definitely felt like, yeah, ecstasy is the best way to describe it. Just so euphoric. So like, wow, look at how far I come. The last time I was bored like this, I was broke as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, then I'm like ordering endless stuff off Amazon and I'm just like, I've stopped because there's such a thing as too much shit. And we'll get into that later, but having money does not mean you should buy stuff.
1: Right. Definitely. Well, t- certainly in that first interview and in the documentary, because it is a tour doc, shit was just really first blowing up and you could play a festival in Australia and a club show in the States the next night. Like I'm sure there was no shortage of gigs. When you look back on that time, was that a pretty exhaustive route race to be on?
0: I would be exhausted all day. Typical day on tour would be wake up, leave the hotel, on the road to the next show pretty much all day or on the plane traveling. Get there, check in the hotel, get the clothes and makeup together, go to venue. Notice I have not said eat, not once. Yeah. <laughs> so you keep going, meet and greet, eat like a snack or something so you don't like pass out during the show. After the show, you feast. But what I'm saying is I literally would physically, emotionally, mentally, everything get my energy from my fan yeah. from seeing them. Like, I would be exhausted, tired, moody, bitchy, not want to talk to anybody. My voice is sore. But then when I saw them and and just would, like, actually talk to them, it's like, damn, they waited all this time for me. I don't know. It just made me feel so special. They always put me number one. I feel like I haven't had a lot of people do that until I met them. They're not just fans to me. Like, they always bring me special gifts and things that they've made and... You could have a horrible day, but the shows would make up for it. So I wouldn't take back anything. I love the tour life. But after is when that mental shit starts happening. Because on tour, you feel so needed. Like you feel like everybody needs you because they do need you. Like if you don't get on stage, what happens?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> they need you.
1: Yeah. So And you need them.
0: Yeah, you need them. And yeah. then you go home and nobody needs you. Yeah. There's no DJ. There's no like, you know, on tour, you got your friends, it's like a party all the time. Like yeah. it's so fun. Yeah. without that, there's nothing. There's mom life, which I'm doing now. Can you leave chips alone? <laughs> which is <laughs> it's very eventful in its own way. But I'm yeah. you know, it's it's really crazy like when you go from fast, 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 fast to extremely slow and you almost feel like non existent.
1: There's so many things that happen to your body and your mindset when you're on the road. You have all that adulation and love every night from a crowd, you have the adrenaline rush of the performance itself, you have the partying after and the sobering 6am lobby call, where you sleepwalk your way through an airport, fly to another town and somehow muster the strength to do it all again, times 100. For someone who loves the road life and lives to perform, the readjustment to home is intense, sometimes devastating then add a pandemic to which you've got no idea when you might be able to perform ever again. That's a lot. Yet with all those things going on, somehow Rico found motivation to make a new record. It's amazing that energy that you get when you walk on stage. It's like you said, like, you need them, and it's not like they're just fans, what they give you, because it's true, like, you suddenly leave that stage with a power and an energy that you did not have when you went on. So, like, the things that happen in your body and the physiology just from what that crowd is giving you and then what you're giving them is such an intense thing. I always feel like that's the reason that, people have to drink or party or do anything after the show because you come off stage and you just have this giant drop in all your serotonin, all the levels. That The only way to keep that going is to like, ingest something or do something, you know?
0: Drugs, man, it's drugs.
1: Yeah, cause it's such a crash. And I would have these crazy crashes too, where I would think that we had the worst show ever when I realized like, oh no, that's just a serotonin crash. That was actually a great show, but I'm just confusing this like depression from this feeling thinking that it was shitty.
0: I'm so guilty of that. I know that there's a lot of young women that look up to me. So I don't really like to talk about drugs, but Mm -hmm. when you're talking 48 hours of just pure, like adrenaline, excitement, you've never experienced this before, the come down will make you feel like, almost like you're playing a show of five people. Yeah. And that's why I stopped because I feel like, why would I feel like that? This is so intense. And sometimes, like I said, before the pandemic, like when you're in the moment, when you're on the stage, this is crazy. I've never talked about this before. When you're on the stage or at the festival and people are like taking pictures of you and they get the ugliest pictures ever. <laughs> and like, I don't have, like, these cute-ass performances, all right? I'm like, oh, like, I'm looking crazy. (laughs) And I'm just, like, on the come down, leaving the city, looking at my pictures on Getty Images, like, what is happening to me? (laughs) (laughs) I look crazy. And everyone's lying to me. And everyone's in my comments, like, you're so cool. You're a fucking rock star. And that's where you start feeling like everyone's lying to you.
1: Yeah, I think you're especially harsh. I think we all see each other ourselves through the harshest lens because I've seen a lot of pictures of you and footage of you now like playing shows and you always look amazing. It looks like every hair is perfectly in place. The energy is just raw. I think we're just all so harsh on ourselves. Harsh on ourselves.
0: It's ridiculous.
1: I used to have a rule that, like, that somehow justified it that I wouldn't get messed up when I was on stage or kind of, I would, I would, you know, take it easy. And then, but then afterwards anything goes and somehow like, that's what made me think that I was sort of all right. But you know, it's still before the show, during the show, after the show, you're still fucking up your body. So
0: you still wait. So you never like, come on, you got to I don't want to be the one to say anything, but you never did it pre-show. I feel like doing drugs pre-show was don't get me wrong. There's no footage. But there were a couple shows that I threw up at. Yeah. I remember a New York show in particular.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't remember where it was, but I remember I ran behind a little, like, projector screen, and I fucking hurled. Yeah. And then, like, when I got back on stage, before I got back, I literally, like, took my fucking pants off. (laughs) And everyone thought it was a wardrobe change.
1: (laughs) That's why you're a true fucking rock star. And I'm like, I might forget the third chord if I get too fucked up or, or like, say something stupid. You're just, like, fully.
0: It's fun when you fuck up on stage. I think that's when you get to see your fans. Right. You don't know your fans until you fuck up on stage. Yeah. You don't know how hard they're rocking with you. Because I've fucked up, but I've got lyrics wrong on stage. They laugh and they keep singing it word for word. Yeah. (laughs) Like, bitch, how you know, like. Yeah. It helps. It kind of just, like, helps to build that relationship because then, like, later on, you and that person's like, I saw Rico, didn't even know the words, but I did, bitch. She's seen me, and it's like, you respond to shit like that. You're like, yes, thank you for keeping me keeping me on my...
1: Your fans sing the words very loud at your shows. It's kind of amazing. I I imagine there's some shows where they're louder than you are.
0: Some shows I don't even have to perform.
1: Right. That's a good deal. (laughs) Yeah. Where were some of the places then on that tour when Nasty was really starting to blow up? Where were some of the countries that you're playing or a festival, it doesn't matter if it's in Poland or somewhere in Australia, that like you didn't know anything about this place, you showed up and then you just see these fans going crazy for your shit. Do you remember a couple of places that really stuck out in your mind?
0: Canada, Toronto, and China, Germany.
1: China, you played in China? Yeah. Wow, I don't know anyone that's played in China, that's amazing.
0: You know, everyone says that to me and I'm just like, I'm destined for greatness. And I loved, I loved China. Everything about it was something that I felt like if I didn't experience this before I died, what did I live for? Like, honestly, it was beautiful. The people were amazing. Our the food was amazing. The only thing bad was how far it was from America. But Right. And I feel like I also had such a good time because you can't smoke weed out there. Right. But I remember going out there and I was so irritated like the whole flight. I was just like,
2: like what the fuck am I going to do?
0: I can't do this. And then I got out there and it was so welcoming and so nice. And just like when I left the airport, it was like all these like stores and stuff. I was like, oh my God, I want to go there. I want to go there. I want to go there. I felt like a kid in a candy store. So yeah. I didn't even want to like smoke or nothing because I felt like it was going to take my time away from like doing fun stuff so yeah <laughs> it's really weird I, I love China and the first time I went to London was also an experience because the floor almost caved in mm-hmm. and I remember I was tripping acid for that show and um a girl like fucked up her back uh-huh. like really bad in the mosh pit and they like carried her to the stage And she's laying on the stage, and like all of the people that work at the venue, they're like about to call the ambulance. And I'm like telling people, I'm like, Dad, the show's about to end. Like, she's like fucked up really bad. Like, I don't even know what to do. I never dealt with nothing like that. And she literally like looks at me. I like go back there to like check on her. She's like, If you stop the show,
1: I will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
0: So I just kept performing and that's how I knew. I was like, okay, London is like my favorite place in the world.
1: That's crazy.
0: Canada. I was expecting such schnooty, prissiness, preppy. They get down. It's crazy out there.
1: That's crazy that on acid you were able to deal with all that, like some kind of emergency medic at that London show as well. That's very impressive. It
0: was really weird because that show, like it's, it's like a fever dream every time I think about it. We got there. The venue was like 500 cap. It was way over cap. It was people outside. My DJ was doing a set and girls started fighting and they like broke the DJ table. And my DJ had to like, <laughs> I'll Never forget this shit. Real rock star shit though. Like my DJ had to hold his fucking laptop and put his DJ thing on like a smaller table, but literally hold his laptop during the show because they broke the table fighting.
1: Right. And then like. So he's just like holding the laptop in one hand while he's doing the show.
0: Yeah, and I remember like he come he came back and he was like, "They fucked up my stuff," and I like ran out there and I was like trying to like. I don't know i was just trying to get to the mic and just tell them like get the fuck out like don't do that don't disrespect and then it was so weird i like opened the door and i'm tripping balls so i like forget that like i can't just go out there like they're like freaking out like i remember i opened the door and it was just like "Ah!" yeah it was like 20 minutes before i was supposed to go on yeah it was so intense. It was really crazy. But I remember that show so clearly. I remember getting on stage like, whoever fucked up the DJ booth, like, I don't like you. You need to leave. Yeah. Jump them in their mosh pit if they're still here. And it was just really like, just intense. London is a beautiful place. I mean, Rihanna lives there. so.
1: Yeah, I was born there. Actually, my parents are English. I'm from there.
0: Oh my God, fire.
1: I mean, I don't know if you remember because you were on acid, but do you remember the venue in London? Because I want to picture it in my head.
0: I don't, but I know it's closed down now. Oh, shit. It's closed down now. And it was open for a very, very long time.
1: Can I ask? So, like, I know it depends on the strength of the acid and this isn't like the Joe Rogan LSD show, but do you I can barely see like I can't count to five on acid like I because I just get so distracted because there's like shapes and things are morphing in front of my eyes like I just how do you it's just amazing that you're just able to go on there and just do that
0: I'm not gonna lie and say I'm scared at this because like at the, the first time it was like the microphone was like like I was like echoing yeah and I felt like I wasn't on beat yeah and then I after the song went off, I asked I said, can y'all hear me all right? Am I on beat? Yeah. And they were like, yeah! And I was <laughs> like, okay. Uh, so this is what it's supposed to sound like. I guess It just, it, it's fucking with you. It's I feel like it taught me to trust myself on stage.
1: Yeah. Because, yeah.
0: like, I would always be so afraid, like, oh, I'm going to fuck up, I'm going to fall. And there's performances of me, like, falling, but it looks like I, like, like like threw myself on the yeah. floor. <laughs> there's videos would be like skipping around and it looks like I like did something like that, but I'm like, like about to fall. It just like teaches you how to trust yourself and how to know like your limits too. Cause I would always, you know, there's always this point in the show where you feel like, okay, I'm exhausted and I need to like take five. But when I would do that, it would feel like the energy would dwindle it's just me up there. I don't have, like, dancing yeah. or nothing. So this needs to be, like, 10 yeah. all across the boards. There's no time to make small talk. But bringing the rage element into it, like, control, like, telling them, like, go. And, and really, like, it's almost like you're in the crowd with them. Like, yeah. I feel like that really helped to bring the crowd alive and, and teach me. I don't necessarily have to rap every single word. Just as long as they feel me, like, they have to feel me.
1: When I was coming up, acid and shrooms were for kids who wore paisley hoodies, hung in sheep's meadow, partied at wetlands, and listened to Blues Traveler. Most of my rap friends smoked weed, and never the twain shall meet. I was kind of in shock even when I first heard Wale talk about Molly in the mid-2000s. I was sort of ignorant and was like, wait, you do rave drugs? Now I kind of love that everyone does everything. I'm certainly not condoning or encouraging, but mind-expanding drugs shouldn't belong to one genre of music. In the 60s, John Lennon dropped acid, but so did Sly. I'd like to thank Taman Pala and Tyler, the creator, for this new wave of psychedelia that we're currently in the midst of. There's definitely such a rock and roll. I mean, I don't even know if that works, because like now there's genres, everything's just all one, and your music is an example of that. But there's such a rock energy at the shows. And there is in the music, like you've talked a lot about the fact that you want to bring the rock energy and make this kind of hybrid. And it's very hard to make this hybrid of rock and rap. So it's not corny. Yes. Like there's about I a count on one hand the amount of people that have done it. But you really managed to pull it off. Is it just something that comes out of you because those are all your loves and influences or is it something more like thought out?
0: I think it's my, my loves and my influences, but I also think it is something that, it kind of just comes out. I will do songs and my regular voice and I will get the, add some Rico Nasty to it. So it's a technique that I've developed over time. It's something that started by me being like very angry in the studio and having to record and turning it to my power. like. I work with, or um, work with my boyfriend who was my manager for a very long time, and it was like a lot of times I would get into, get to arguments before the studio, and it's just like I would still have to go in there and record, or I get to be for bitches or rap bitches online, and I'm upset, and I would still have to go to the studio and record because like I'm paying for this time, or this time is being paid for by somebody else. So I don't want to piss them off, so. Either way you look at it, it kind of just came out because it always felt like if I went to the studio and I was in a bad and bad mood and I was like trying to act happy. Like, I feel like when I listen back to it, I can hear myself faking. Yeah. And I don't like that. Like when I'm feeling myself, when I'm feeling mad. I feel like that's why people can hear it. So and it sounds so real and authentic because it's really that it's not like me going in the studio and acting like I'm mad, like I'm literally mad. I got some shit to get off my chest. And I think that's why I also walk around with such a bubbly attitude because for the most part, anything that has to get said, gets said and sells. So I'll keep my mouth shut until I get a beat.
1: You talk about that actually in that article too. You said that you loved going to the studio, but in the beginning, nobody took you seriously because you were a girl and you'd be like, you'd show up to the studio and like people would try and basically play it off. Or can you talk about that?
0: It's more prominent now that we hear this type of stories because there's so many female rappers now. But I mean, every girl has been there. You get invited to the studio, you get there, nobody says a word to you, or the guy that invited you is trying to hit on you, or I don't know. It's just weird. I, don't pay too much attention to that shit because like, when you're young, it definitely do bother you because you start feeling like, damn, I got to fuck to get a feature. But then you start realizing like, respect is just what it is. It's respect. And if you don't got no respect for me, then I don't have no respect for you. I'm not about to spend my night trying to win over respect from somebody who don't even have respect for themselves because if they did, they wouldn't treat a woman like this. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you have to assert yourself. I am a very nice person. So, yes, there'll be times I get in the studio and I get a little bit walked on, you know, because they're just like, this should go here. This should go here. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe just, no. It goes from that to, no, stop. Don't touch my song. Leave me alone. Get out. Get out. Get out. And if that makes me a bitch, that's fine. But you're not about to.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I grew up with a lot of sisters. My mom, like some of this shit doesn't even occur to me. But when I worked with Lady Gaga, she was like, I like working with you because you actually listen. And this is already Gaga's sold like 50 million records on the... This is, she's done Monster, the whole thing, or the Monster's Ball. And I just couldn't believe I was like, wait, so like you still are in the studio with ex producer. And they're like, no, I, I kind of like this part here. I, I'd rather not change it. And I'd be like, and she'd be like, well, I think you could just like, maybe we could change a chord and be like... Uh, I just, I just, this is the way the label likes it. And it was like blowing my fucking mind. Cause of course we know misogyny exists and these things happen in the studio and producers have typically for the most part been men, but it did blow my mind when she said that.
0: I will say you are a great listener, but I will say that I think that's why me and Kenny's relationship is so, so talked about, idolized You see people trying to imitate it. But like, that's, It was what it was. When he met me, I was a little, oh, I don't know what kind of beat I want. And Kenny is very much, we're both Taurus. He's very much like, why are you acting like that? Just say it. What do you want? What do you want? And get right to it. Like, why are you wasting time? Why are you afraid to be yourself? You're getting paid to be yourself. Be your best self that you can be. And it would be so weird. Like, working with him was always one of those things where, I'd like beat around the bush. He'd be like, I'm not. I don't have time for this. You're not about to beat around the bush. Like, what do you want? Like, stop right. being afraid. Like, I was so conditioned to be like, uh, ah, whatever you guys. I don't know. And it's like, you're you're the star of the show. Like, yeah. you make the choices. You like that beat, and everyone in and you're going around like, you like this, you like this. And everybody's not gonna like it. You have to like it, cause then you'll kill it. And then you worry about what they say after you kill that shit, they probably won't have nothing to say. (laughs) Kenny was just very like, definitely taught me how to not be afraid of getting told no, and not being afraid of telling a motherfucker how this really about to go. Like you about to do it the way I'm asking you. I'm not about to sit up here and do some small talk. Like, you know, I'm in there sweating bullets. Screaming at the top of my lungs, you better put this where I asked you.
1: (laughs) Right. It sometimes baffles me, but it's real. People see a man's name and a woman's name on a production credit on a song, and they might assume the man did most of the quote-unquote real work. I'll work with an artist like King Princess on a track. She might do the beat, play most of the instruments, do some sound design and they'll see my name on it as well and guess that most of that was me. I see firsthand how she has to fight even harder to be taken seriously. Missy Elliott, Danielle Haim, Lady Gaga, Solange, these are some of the great producers of our time. We don't always think of them in this way, but it's our obligation to give them the credit they deserve. on the new album there's a lot more producers different producers on different tracks but it all still very much sounds like you so it sounds like no matter who's kind of doing the beat or this thing you found this way to make it all your sound
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean I don't get to work with Kenny all the time as much as we did a lot of work together I remember when Anger ranch was done I looked at him and I was like Kenny this is the end of a long road until I see you again brother but I was getting tired of people oh she's only good with kenny or oh right. she's only good because that's you know i guess to that point where you kind of want to spread your wings at a, as an yeah. artist and he also wanted to see like young grasshopper take these skills i've i've taught you and right and, and go into these sessions and be yourself and be assertive and make the magic that i know you can make and yeah now through this pandemic though Shout out to my anxiety. I actually haven't been in the studio with a lot of people.
1: You know what? I met Kenny in the middle of the pandemic. I went over to his place in LA because we had been talking, DMing or whatever about dumb music technical shit. Said, oh, I'm in LA for a week. I'll come and see you. I think he was the first new person I met I think he came to the door without a mask and I was so shocked to see anybody's full face. I hadn't seen anybody's full face in about five months. That's the thing I really remember. And he just built his studio and it looked great. And I think he's a I think he's a fucking fantastic yeah. producer. And I love all the shit you've done on the new record. Like I lo- Day Trip are friends of mine. I love that track that you guys did together.
0: I love working with Day Trip. They always made me feel like I gotta bring it. I love Day Trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I like that they gave you like There would always be this thing with like Missy and great artists that were different from everybody else. That everybody would save their best weird shit for that person. Like I like the day trip when they come to you, they give you like this thing that's just like just a little bit of acid in it, you know?
0: Definitely, I feel like the shit that they gave me was very like UK grime, very just like they knew at the time that I was traveling so much, and the beats that they were sending me were just. Yeah. I love their
1: Dylan Brady, too. Honey Gex. I love them. Yeah. Also, in that Fader doc, I wonder if you feel differently about this now because it stood out that you said you're always constantly changing it up because so many people are, you know, copying their style or copying certain things that you do, whether it's visually or in the music. And you just felt this need to constantly reinvent yourself. So, So basically, they can't catch you.
0: That sounds like something a 19-year-old would say.
1: Okay. So do you, I imagine you feel a little more calm and like in your spot, like I'm here, nobody can take this thing from me. Do you feel a little bit less manic in that way?
0: I feel that way because of Flo Millie and PP Cocaine. I feel like both of those women, young ladies coming out right when they were getting all their recognition, both of them, came to me personally, to my face, and were like, you inspire me. I watched you. It makes me feel like why the fuck would I sit here and be mad about copying when these are two girls who came from nothing and look at what they've made of their lives just from being inspired, sitting in the bed, watching a video of mine and saying, this is it, fuck it, I'm gonna be a rapper. I don't give a fuck. Yeah it makes me feel like, like amazing, you know? Like it's not, t- shout out to Flo Millie and shout out to Pippi Cocaine, cause there's not too many girls who are honest enough to say something like that. Because I feel like a lot of people feel like, oh, then that's copying, that's copying. Like, oh Millie does not rap like me, but that bitch can't rap. Okay, like yeah. she can rap. It's 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 beyond that. It's about like my legacy. Like, I don't want to be remembered as a time. Like, I want to be remembered as, like, an entire moment that happened. Because mm-hmm. when I die, there's more. There's not just, oh, that was it. Like, my cadences and things that I might have did in one song live on. And that's another thing, too. Back then, I will get so frustrated because, like, now looking back on it, it would only be, like, one song where somebody sounded like me or where someone sounded, said I sounded like them. It would be, like, one song. And then after that, we would just never sound like that. It's just weird because, as a female artist, I feel like we don't give each other enough space to grow. I feel like all girls sound the same with auto tune, mm-hmm. and that is something that we should like get over because all men sound the same with auto tune. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until auto tune that people were like, "All oh, these rappers sound the same." So I get it; they are doing it for the girls now. Now all the girls doing melodic rap, but even before me doing melodic rap there was stage Loaf, mm-hmm. and before me doing weird ass videos, there were plenty of female rappers doing that. So even me, I had to bite the bullet and sit back like, bitch, even you're not the first to do a lot of things. And then we're talking about black rock stars. Tina Turner was the first. So, yeah. you know, when you're new, you just want so bad to get your respect and people can't take from me but you don't get respect like that you get respect by working you get respect by shutting people up and you get respect Mm -hmm. by letting them see what it comes from not pointing it out you gotta let people see the shit for themselves
1: did you watch the tina turner documentary that was on the other night
0: i did that even proved my point even more like how she felt in the documentary is how i feel now just like I was, she said something that really stuck with me. I don't remember the names, but she was coming out with so many other women who were fire and beautiful and sexy and soft and just all these things that you want a woman to be. And she was the opposite. Hard, rough, around the edges, raspy voice, strong. And when I think about that, I think about me, like immediately, like I feel like that. Like I feel like right now, I might not be muscular, I'm a little bit skinny, but um, I'm the skinny one, and everyone's yeah. so, ba out bow you know, and it's like, you always feel that way, and it's so important that she said that, because I felt so drawn to her even more, like, you know, her voice and the boundaries of it were just, like, crazy to me, like, people can't sing like that, and even me, my screaming is is no match for that, but I feel like her entire story was just crazy because she fought from beginning to end. And most people make her fight about her man. But her fight was like her actual career. Because fuck him. After him, she still had to keep on trying to do stuff and trying to do stuff when it should have been like, do y'all know who y'all even fucking with right now?
1: Yeah. She talks about that, doesn't she? She's like, even in this first stage of the comeback, they're like, oh, so where's Ike? Like, they still can't get it out of their head that, like, she's this solo artist. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Tina Turner. You said something in that article as well that I wonder if you feel any differently about. They're talking about the, you know, there was this renaissance of a lot of female rappers getting signed. And you're like, enjoy it while it lasts, because they're going to decide which one of us gets to sit at the top of the charts. Which was always a thing that you would hear... You know, in in music generally, like there's only there can be 80 big male rappers, but there's only really ever one. And if there's more, then you get pitted against somebody. But it seems like there's a little bit more going on right now. Or is that just a typical male thing that I'm saying right now?
0: I feel like that statement in general, I've been asked about that before. And I feel like it's always gotten twisted because I didn't never mean it like enjoy it now. I meant it like this is a time where we finally could see that labels were looking at women we could see it with our own two eyes there were women getting signed left and right and it was like make that shit last have fun with it because when they do pick who they want to put their money behind it's a whole other ball game it's not just underground rap shit and I feel like so many people get caught up in just like wanting to be a rapper that they forget that there's a certain threshold that you kind of like pass and then you become an artist. You're not yeah. just a rapper. Like you're on all types of different songs, doing all types of different things. And I really wanted to say that, have fun because <laughs> when the pressure gets on, a lot of our music that we sounded like when we first started is going to be completely different from mm-hmm. a couple of years from now. And I can also say that i've always felt like you are snoring stop
1: <laughs>
0: you're so loud is
1: that who is that okay My is that dog. the dog from the movie the little the cute little one
0: no that sounds like a bigger dog else. is
1: what i'm trying to get at
0: this is the oh yeah so
1: that's a snore from a bigger dog
0: he does nothing but sleep all day here take chippy
1: Hi there. That's Cameron.
0: <laughs> yeah. I always felt like take hey him. Hey, Let's go, big Bella. Let's go, big cuckoo. Let's go, oh. big Gaga. I'm sorry. Cam. That's okay. Okay, but um, it's really weird how like when I remember when I first signed, it was like uh, me, Cardi. It was just, like a lot of people getting signed, and like. I just remember being so afraid, like I was so afraid because I didn't know, like, yeah. what that really meant. I just knew that I got like a lot of money. Yeah, but I didn't really know like about media and blogs and stuff. and I know I'm not the only girl who goes to this, but like they always post my most raunchiest shit, right. Like I remember my first post from the shade room, I think was me spitting in someone's mouth. And I don't think anybody like warns the girls that like no matter how hard you try to be a great role model, they'll always capture the worst thing you ever did and magnify yeah. it. So
1: it's true. I guess you don't see that as much with the male rappers, maybe.
0: Like they'll post when a male rapper spends like eighty eighty thousand on a watch or like, oh, he bought a marathi or a Lambo truck, but like they won't post when he does other fucked up shit. But as soon as a girl posts a video without her wig on, she's a fake human being and all this other shit. Like, I don't even know what to do anymore.
1: I think that it's, you know, obviously super interesting and I'm sure you get asked about it all the time, all the diverse rock influences in your music. But I've actually never heard you talk that much about who your rap influences were. And obviously you didn't start fronting a band. You made rap music, and I'm wondering if you made that because those were the beats and that was the thing available, or if that is your first love, or how all these mixes came together. But it would be cool to hear you talk about some of the rappers that influenced you when you were starting out.
0: I think some of the rappers that influenced me when I was starting out were Tyler, the Creator, ASAP Rocky, Kendrick Lamar, Young Thug.
1: Could you see yourself doing a more rock bass record or something that was even more of a departure, I guess, from hip hop and the beats and the drums and stuff like that.
0: I have like a couple of actual rock songs.
1: And just you and guitar?
2: Yeah,
0: just me and guitar. And I just, um, I feel like this is going to be a very controversial statement. So hear me out. Okay. In order to make the type of rap music that I make, there isn't much vulnerability needed. All you need is a middle finger and some aggression. But to make rock music, I have to be more vulnerable because there's already enough songs about break this, smash that, fuck this, fuck that. But this is like, what is the story behind why you wanted to say that? What did they do to you? And I feel like that's why I won't release that music because it really does like tell what hurts me the most, what I hate the most about myself, what I hate the most about a lot of things and I don't think I'm ready to be vulnerable like that with my fans, but there's definitely like a couple of songs of me. I think like, I have like two songs of Travis Barker on the drums.
1: When you do put it out, it's always the stuff that's absolutely the most vulnerable that gives people the most empowerment as well. Would you have like a special name, like how you had Taco Bell? Would you have like another name? Have you thought about it for like what your rock and roll name is? Even though Rico Nasty is pretty rock and roll.
0: Um, I like Carmen
2: Dioxide
1: carbon dioxide that's fucking incredible is that what you said yeah that is really good
0: (laughs) look forward to the reinvention coming soon
1: did you see this movie promising young women by the way
0: i did
1: did you think that they kind of borrowed some things aesthetically from you i was watching some of your videos today and i was like yo did this movie kind of like have you heard anything has anyone ever made that movie told told you that they were a fan or anything like that
0: no, I haven't heard anything like that. But I fucked with that movie. I wish that it was done better, though. Yeah. Like, I don't like how it makes us seem so bitter. Because when something like that happens, you're allowed to feel crazy and feel deranged. Not necessarily bitter, but you're entitled to feel whatever you want to feel. Yeah. And I feel like that movie makes, People who want to get revenge on people who do fucked up shit it makes them look crazy. And they're not crazy for wanting revenge. I feel like it's so weird for women. Like we literally, can't, you're supposed to get hit with a fucking semi truck and say, well, I got to go cook dinner. Like, <laughs> bitch, I'm going to fuck you up. Like, yeah. I'm tired of this. You get all these things done to you. And the minute you egg his nigga house or put a little sugar in his tank, it's like,
2: Oh my God, put her in a mental hospital.
0: Y'all never, men be doing some crazy stuff. I've literally seen a man take a woman's iPhone and throw it on the floor, smash it, break it, and then just say, I told you, bitch, and just walk out. And you can't do nothing because you're scared. I'm telling you, why are we living like that? My phone is broken. You're paying for that. Do you want to get tased? Because I won't fight you. But- Every action has a consequence.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm all for women finally giving people their consequences, whether it's a little bit of attitude or whatever it is. Stop letting people walk all over you.
1: I guess because shit is starting to open back up now and everything. Do you know, do you have shows coming out to promote this record? Do you, or there's...
0: I have a show for Outside Lands. It's supposed to be like the middle of this year, but... I do a lot of virtual shows, a lot of college shows. So I feel like I have a really good relationship with the colleges. I do a college show like three times a month, really.
1: That's amazing. So I think I know what it is, but can you explain?
0: Well, it's just a live stream. And basically I get on there. They might do like the meet and greet before and after. But the students, uh, they get to come on meet and greet, ask me questions, share things with me. We talk and then the show is pre-recorded. It's just me and some cameras on a stage, some cool lights. And I literally just do my show. But it's like in front of cameras and then the kids get to see it. And then they're like, sometimes they ask me about the show. I ask you about my outfit. I I like the live shows. That's
1: cool. And it's only the show that you do is only for that college. So it really is like, do they get a show? That's cool. Yeah. Do you do it in venues that usually you would be doing a show at? Is that where they film it?
0: Yeah, right now it's this place, it's called Union Street and it's this venue, but obviously it's closed for COVID, but they let me like do the live performances there so that it looks like a show.
1: That's so dope.
0: Yeah, I think my favorite part of it is definitely like to perform, they always send me the merch of the school. Yeah. It's like whenever I go to get my mail, you would be surprised how many guys are like, oh, you went to SFU? Right. Oh, to Berkeley? I'm like, no, just perform there did you go to berkeley you know like it's such a conversation starter because i have all i have like ucla berkeley nova american university harvard
1: you look like a high school player is like being recruited by every college that's insane
0: oh yeah i definitely look like a high school baller (laughs) but those guys used to be so cool used to have all the school stuff
1: well especially because you said you grew up in pg county right I mean, I know that's really obvious thing to say, but PG County, when I think about it, obviously I think of Kevin Durant and then I think of then the music scene now. It's like it has such a vibrant scene. Like, I don't know. Do people hang out with each other in the music scene or is it pretty spread out? Like, do you do you feel like part of a scene?
0: Do we hang out? I feel like no and yes. We keep in touch with each other. We love each other because we know what it takes to come from here. Like Ari Lennox. Somebody who checks up on me and I check up on her. I really fuck with her. We don't talk every day, but like we're from the same area, so like we show love. Grant Fias, oh my God, Cali Uchi's, Jidk.
1: Cali Uchi's is from that area as well. Yeah, oh, I had no idea.
0: Yay! She's
1: blowing the fuck up right now. That's amazing. I love. I, I love Callie. Yeah.
0: I feel like you know when I first found out about her, I always felt like her voice is something that can't fuck with it and like i said i love tyler so as soon as she started working with tyler i was like oh my god, oh my god. and then when she was like rico i want to do a song with you i have to make a voice like that because her voice is so soft yeah. she's just so soft and nice i literally freaked out i almost shit my pants and then when she wanted to do a spanish song i was like oh my god this is gonna be so crazy i love callie she's amazing too but yeah i feel like jidk I can honestly say he does a great job of like lending us and even Wale like these are people who I will honestly say they do more than me as far as keeping everybody in the d together like they do a great job knowing new artists helping people I know J.I.D.K helped me get my first show at U Street Musical I actually opened up for him huh. and he also got me a meeting with Sony which was with J.I.D.K like he was like oh I have somebody at Sony we're so fire and we spent the day with him and He was very much, very welcoming and very like, if you need anything, I have any questions, let me know. And just an awesome, overall awesome-ass person. And I feel like also coming from the DMV, you kind of have to be mean because if you're not mean, then what we say around here is you sweet, Mm -hmm. like you sweet, like you go for anything. Anybody can tell you anything, like you're not going to do nothing. So when I come out and I'm meeting so many people from where I'm from and they're actually nice and they're successful. Like they don't have to keep up this like, oh I go so hard. They're just genuinely cool ass people. It, it also helped me want to be myself more because I didn't feel like I had to be something that I wasn't. I mean, we all know the D M V is not like the hardest place in the world, but there it's fucked up. Yeah. Like it's very fucked up. People think, Oh the D M V it's by D C politics. Yeah. No. A lot of dirty cops, a lot of crazy stuff going on out here that I guess they don't talk about because of all the politics. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They sweep the real shit under the rug.
1: I remember when I first started working with Wale maybe like 14 years ago and someone introduced us. He was in the city and he came to my studio and then we started working together. And then one night I watched this show, The Wire. Do you know that show, The Wire? Yeah. I binge watched the whole season and I was called him in the middle of the night. Basically, I was like, oh my God, I just watched The Wire. And I can't believe that's so fucked up. I'm so nervous for you, like, where you live. And he's like, that's Baltimore, you idiot. Like, I had no idea. I'm not the only person to get that confused. Obviously, 15 years later, I know the difference.
0: Everyone always does that. And I'm like, oh, I'm from Maryland. They're like, oh, Baltimore? I'm like, no. Yeah. But I went to school in Baltimore, so... I fuck with Baltimore. Yeah. I love where I'm from.
1: You said, though, you said that it was so different, too. You went to boarding school for a little while, and then you came back, and everybody said that you talk different, you dress different. But, I mean, how many—it was, what, like an hour away, but it was so different culturally?
0: Yeah. I feel like I don't even have to defend this statement. Baltimore is completely different from D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Like, their accent is different, the way they dress is different. And I will say, like, I was going to a boarding school— So, like, I didn't go to school and have my mom to, like, balance me out and, like, come home and be like, why are you talking like that, you know? So I'm literally just waking up and I'm talking like the people I'm around. I'm talking like my teachers and just talking, I don't know. Like very proper. No, Baltimore is, like, maybe, like, you and T and what you want to do. Like, they talk really, it's just different. So when I got back to PG County and I'm, like, slurring my words like that, it was just like, Where are you from? <laughs> Why do you talk like that? Yeah, it would just always throw them off and always make me feel like I just never like belonged, I guess yeah, you're good at this, and I want to hear your music now. I'm gonna go look it up okay, <laughs> well,
1: I did like um I produced and co-wrote a lot of with Amy Winehouse, so like her album back to Black, I don't know if you know that record, but I produced a lot of that and uh Valerie and uh i uh what? I'm
0: about to cry. That's crazy. That's really no. No. Nah. That album is like my entire adolescence. Like I just hear those songs, especially Valerie, especially Tears Dry on their own. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Well, I love your music too, of uh, maybe one day we'll get to do something. Where are you? I'm in New York. I'm in New York. Oh
0: yeah, you're not even that far from me actually.
1: I'm not even that far.
0: We got a link up. We got
1: a link up. Is there anything else? I feel like everything that you say is so fucking amazing and sounds like a soundbite.
0: You're actually a good interviewer. You wanna know why though? Why? Because you're not like overbearing. Right. Like this whole interview, there wasn't one time where I was like, I need to smoke some weed. I'm feeling nervous. <laughs> like this is really chill. I fuck with this. Okay. This is awesome. Okay, I
1: feel better about myself. It's my third one. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Wow.
0: Thank you. This is amazing. All right.
2: I hope to see you soon.
1: All right. See you.
2: Thanks again to Rico Nasty for taking the time to talk with us. A special fader thank you to our Grammy and Oscar award winning host, Mark Ronson. Please visit thefader.com slash podcast to read the original cover story and check out a playlist of artists mentioned in this episode. If you like the show, please share it and review us on your favorite podcast app. Join us next Monday to find out which of your favorite artists will be uncovered next. Executive Producers Rob Stone and John Cohen. Directed by Daniel Nevetta and produced by The Fader in association with byt.nyc. Engineered and mixed by David Rogers Berry. Theme music by DJ Premier. Additional music by MCamp and A-Rod. For Fader Uncovered merchandise, please visit shop.thefader.com. Thanks, and see you next week.